Welcome to the Industry Leaders Journey podcast, which highlights remarkable experiences from procurement and supply chain leaders. I am your host, Sue Shim, and today I'm excited to talk with Trisha Miller, who is relatively new Chief Procurement Officer at Accenture. In this episode, Trisha will walk us through her leader's journey, sharing pivotal moments that have shaped her remarkable path to become a CPO. Her story is a proof of the power of optimism and determination. Join us on this conversation to learn more her insights and experiences. All right, good morning. Actually, it's a good afternoon, Trisha. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Yes, it is afternoon here on the East Coast. All right. Thank you for joining me today. I've been looking forward to uh, having this conversation with you because, first of all, congratulations. Uh, pretty recent uh, uh, promotion for CPO. Definitely want to get into that. I think I met you several years ago um, while I was managing a partner relationship with Accenture, and then you are the one who was really uh, spearheading this transformation within Accenture procurement. So and I never knew we we're going to end up like connecting again through this CPO position. So I'm so happy to re reconnect. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love the theme of that, right? We connected years ago because of that partner connection. And I do think within SAP and Accenture, we are very fortunate with the partnership. And I will say as a customer, um, the customer side of that partnership, it can be very helpful, right? I, I, I love the opportunity that we get to play in this space with a partner and really challenge the what's the art of the possible. Right, right. Last time when we briefly spoke, I remember you are also an immigrant like me to North America, even though you hardly have very little accent. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, people can maybe pick it up where you're from. So yeah, I remember you, you travel from uh, Europe, Ireland and to the States, but the journey is a little bit similar in the sense that you came after the university um, and also you have like three daughters, right? So you're the mom, just like me. So I just felt like, oh my gosh, she's a bit like me and studies something similar. And uh, I want to just uh, get your perspective, how, how uh, your experience of uh, moving over from different continent to North America. And then, uh, you know, quite successful woman in leadership now and while raising the, you know, the girls at home. So tell me uh, your perspective on this uh, journey from Europe to America and then, you know, just how was it like growing up in Ireland versus here raising your own children in US, in the US? It is a great, it is a great question. So it, it is pretty amusing. I uh, grew up in a small town in the country, outside of a small town even, not, you know, the noisy uh, noise for me was when uh, the sheep had lambs. I mean, literally, <laughs> that, I mean, that much of the country girl. Um, but um, and I never left Ireland, actually, until my early 20s. I had an opportunity when in college to take a summer to America with a massive group of friends. Um, so I was heavily motivated to tag along, essentially, um, and had such an amazing experience over the summer. I went back to finish college, but that was the beginning, essentially, of a seed for me to say, I think there's a lot more I would like to see. Um, and so I took advantage of that. After college, I went to Australia for a year. And then I went back to grow up and settle down. We'll put it that way. I need a proper job. I remember consciously thinking I needed a proper job in the corporate world. Um, and I took that opportunity uh, when I when I got my 
uh, you know, started post post college, post travel career. Um, but when the opportunity came up after that to travel within my job, it was easy for me to say yes, essentially, because because of of the excitement and the interest and and honestly, the love of it that I had generated through that travel. Right, right. Actually, my daughter just started that three months, uh, like single solo girl trip and that just by herself. Right. So uh, back then when we were young, just going outside of a country and seeing the world. So exciting. It's really a formative period. Right. Early 20s. And um, we have a lot of opportunities for our young girls to do that these days. And it just changed you. Right. <laughs> it, it, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I age myself when I say I needed to buy for the U.S. trip. I didn't even use email. It was phone cards. Right. And for the Australia trip, which wasn't that much after, it, of course, it was email as well as phone. But um, like we had to go to Internet cafes. And, right, right. <laughs> and you know, so I do, I, you know, I, I do marvel at even my family and being that far away and it just you couldn't have constant contact like we can now and I do think about what that would be like I really hope and and will encourage my children to travel but I appreciate it'll be a lot easier on me at any time where I can go and look you know find my phone wherever they might be in the world Um, so I, I don't envy you because you're that much further as much as I want my girls to do it I haven't had to approach that just yet yeah 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 i was nervous about it but once she arrived oh my god first day hello mama every two hours and then second day third day you don't hear from her which is a good news <laughs> probably i see where she is find my phone <laughs> okay yeah. um yeah. so actually let's dive into a little bit on this um accenture your journey and uh our procurement so uh i uh, you studied uh, something in management information system or something around the business right so I did, I did. So it. more like IT, IT side you studied? Yeah, me. I mean, it was a business degree with an IT major. And to be clear, again, in the time when an IT major basically meant a language course and, I don't know, data uh, architecture or something like that, I, I would never have considered myself very technical. Um, but it was the start of my career with an Accenture. When I joined Accenture, I actually joined in the IT organization and I was essentially a business analyst um, within IT. And then I'm 22 years with Accenture now. So after about three years, I made the move into the business side of, uh, you know, moved over from supporting the business side of technology to really the technology side of the business, because I moved into a role in procurement that was responsible for shaping and deploying tools at a point where I think any of us that have been in procurement can think about just how much digitization have come in a very short amount of time. So it's been a constant journey with constant change and iteration um, because there was a lot to do big uphill mm-hmm. battle to go from nothing to very digitized functions as we have today. Wow. So so to be clear for people who are listening, you are not typical Accenture consultant consulting the customers. You are actually part of a Accenture core internal function. It, it, exactly that. It's funny. I do when I talk to peers, I won't even say clients, but when I talk to peers, many of which are clients, I do have to point that out because there is this mindset that you know, so many of us are obviously consultants. Um, it is what everybody thinks when they think of Accenture. But yes, my role is the CPO for Accenture, um, responsible essentially for how we do buying for a very large global companies. Right, right. Yeah, so going back a little bit on our relationship, Accenture and SAP, um, I mean, 
you, I remember you guys were like one of the biggest customers of Ariba and also partner, of course, number one partner uh, and also biggest spender on the business network. It's like a number one in everywhere. <laughs> so it's a very special relationship. And how long have you been personally working with SAP uh, product as a, like your vendor? Um, so I will say Accenture has been an SAP shop for yeah. longer than I even remember. Um, and Ariba has been our core buying tool as long as I've been in this space. And mm -hmm. um, the big difference on the big shift for me was when we mm, about 2015, 2016, really start looking from legacy Ariba and assessing the cloud solution. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, embarked on that move from legacy to Ariba P2P cloud. And so my relationship with SAP and honestly with our go-to-market partners at the same time evolved from there because we were making this massive shift and drove this very large program to make that happen. And you are right, one of the uh, one of the motivators of that program was guided by. I went to live, like many people go to these big events and we see the thing on the stage and we get very excited. Um, but for me, it fundamentally, once I saw guided buying, I could see the user experience that we all strived for finally coming to life. And so that pushed or, or allowed us to push ahead with the program. And as we did, turned out to be the first and largest, and I believe still hold largest instance of guided buying globally. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. So actually, I want. I was very curious. Like, to help me, uh, walk me through actually how the whole big transformation like started in Accenture. I'm just very curious because it's quite big company, and then you actually had opportunity to really drive the whole thing. So how does it even begin? Like in terms of a, like business case, for example, or how do you even convince? Who told you to do it, or did you go convince someone to do it? Like, how does it begin? It can obviously vary, but I'll start at the kind of macro level and, and then as appropriate, because, you know, there are different levels or different levers, maybe is a better way of putting it, that you want to pull as you do different pieces of it. But fundamentally, as we looked at procurement six years ago, we looked at what our 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 Stratton consulting teams were saying, what is procurement? What can procurement be? And really, there was such a strong understanding that procurement as a traditional function is all around buy, supply and pay. Do it with focus on risk and compliance and efficiency. Those things are really important. Those things were the underpinning tenants of what we were trying to do on the transformation. But the more important piece is you do that so you can move into the plus. Um, internally, we branded ourselves as Procurement Plus. And what I mean when I say move into the plus, we've heard a lot in procurement over the last five, six years around being a value, um, a valuable mm -hmm. uh, business offering, a valuable business capability. What are we doing with closed loop spend management to drive intelligent savings? Not just beating up partners over how much they're charging and how much we want to pay, but genuinely looking at how we spend and why and making buying decisions based on that. What are we doing to contribute to an organization's ESG agenda? Accenture is very vocal about our commitment to inclusion and diversity and sustainability. Third parties play a massive role in that. And so how are we as a procurement function representing um, or bringing the best of third parties that will help with the IND and the sustainability agenda to Accenture? And um, what are we doing to help the organization manage risk? So we needed to look at the traditional procurement, the buy, supply and pay. We needed to standardize, simplify and automate it so we could continue to move 
the function into that plus. And the beauty of it is, as we've done that standardization, simplification and automation, and you've essentially digitized it, you are creating data that allows you to get more efficient, but you're also creating data that allows you to be more intelligent. And that intelligence is the is essentially the feeding, right? The 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 insights that we need to drive the the good responsible buying towards sustainable suppliers, inclusive suppliers, or risk adverse suppliers, or to make good buying decisions that aren't just the cheapest price, but a price that overall helps grounded with the other pieces of value we want from our third parties. Right. So I'm curious. Um, you said Pokemon Plus, right? Plus. Well, yes. Yeah. So that plus part. Um, in terms of KPI, olden days, like okay, your Pokemon, your CPU, your KPI is cost cutting, 10%, 20%. You can go to the board and you can show the case that very clearly. So now you mentioned a few things, ESG, um, of uh, uh, creating the value in certain other way. So what is actually specific new KPIs that you can actually say these are the KPI get measured? Is it? And also because I'm curious, are you guys part of us? CFO organization or any other part of the organization where are you helping? Like, how do you roll up in terms of a KPI? We are, uh, interestingly, in extension, we are not part of the finance organization. We're part of a group called Corporate Services and Sustainability. And that's a group that includes, obviously, a sustainability arm, but includes other groups like T&E, payroll, and, and, and just essentially workplace and things that run layers of the company. Mm -hmm. um, and so procurement has always been part of that group. So when we think about KPIs, of course, how we contribute to savings is, is, is as important now as it ever was. but we're very fortunate that that is not the only measurement and because that's not the only measurement we're not limited to what i think of those traditional boundaries well please explain why you need investment and how that investment is going to drive more savings we have been able to showcase to our leadership third-party risk management third-party value management is an essential element that Accenture needs to take advantage of if we are to meet our commitments to sustainability, if we meet our commitments to inclusion and diversity. And here's what procurement can do to contribute to that. So you talked about KPIs and um, scope three emissions is a key KPI that obviously impacts more than procurement, but procurement is a massive contributor, uh, contributor to. We make uh, commitments to what we do for inclusion and diversity and how much of our spend is directed to inclusion and diversity. Um, and then risk is, is clearly a very important part, right? I, I think risk is a very interesting space in procurement. It's always existed. Um, but the need that the growing amount of focus on risk, the number of new risks we find constantly means there's a real need for us to, to do risk management with intelligence. And again, we're very fortunate that our leadership team understand the pivotal role procurement play in that, not just the, OK, go and get that pro uh, requisition processed, that contract signed and that invoice pushed through. Right, right. Yeah, so I was very curious how you guys uh, walk the talk, basically, uh, you know, procurement strategy, consulting, preaching, you know, so that makes sense. Um, also curious about the in in that um, transformation, the current status. So like, yeah, so now you want to be this new procurement plus uh, all that area in terms of digitization and all the other initiative program. Where do you think you are? Are you done with all the transformation? Or are you still going? How long is it taking? <laughs> um, I will say it takes longer than we hope for, but I, I don't think that's, a, I, I just think that's a reality. I think it's, we're at a very interesting point where transformation is honestly overused as a word. 
Um, and it's almost expected to be instant and it isn't. Mm. Um, that being said, I, I still speak with incredible positivity of how much we've done. I, I don't believe we like everyone have stumbled, but I don't believe we've fallen off the path at any point. I, I feel with great or, or I can say with great confidence that we've made incredible progress and we're still on that journey. So let me kind of break it down. If we look at our P2P space, which I'm sure for almost everyone is one of the most historically digitized processes, right? Get an invoice approval system right. in place, get a purchase approval system in place. And um, when we look at P2P, even supplier setup, I would consider our maturity level self-rated, right? <laughs> Nobody's going to come in and audit this, but I would consider our maturity level three and a half to four. Mm -hmm. We really are end-to-end -end digitized. Um, and in addition to that, we have layered in not just the big ERP systems, um, but we've layered in intelligent automation on top of them. So I have P plus bots leveraged and surfaced in my buying system. So if I click, uh, if my buyers have a problem in the purchasing process, they can reach into a bot that will either give them automated answers in some cases, or in others will at least direct them to an agent. So you're getting support immediately. Mm -hmm. um, I have um, an artificial intelligence making a determination or a recommendation on what your general ledger should be, because mm -hmm. everybody can be a buyer in Accenture, not everybody should know or could possibly know what to write accounting information. So we've done a lot where I believe our maturity level as we compare to peers in the P2P space is very high. When we get into the more upstream, sourcing, contracting, um, I would put us lower on the scale. We're probably at about a two and a half to three. And that's somewhat reflective of we have multiple different tools. It is less globally consistent. And so we're on the journey now to drive out global consistent solutions in those places in sourcing, contracting. Um, well on the journey, we're 60, 70% of the way now with global standards, um, as well as a central place to capture all the demand for those. And so um, I would say two and a half, getting towards a three in that, because really the next part of the journey is great that you deployed all the tools, but are they being adopted? Are they being used in the way you wanted? Did you see the changed behavior you hoped were? That's the next priority. And last but not least, now what data and insights are you getting from that? And are the team able to extract those data and insights and leveraging them to change buying behavior? Because that, when you transform source to contract, category management source to contract, that's fundamentally what we want. All of the digitization in this space is pointless if we're not producing data that changes buying behavior of an organization. Right. That is a really intelligence that that put it into action, right? So, and then you may actually completely do the things differently. A category management will completely change. So, right. So actually, um, how long do you think it's gonna take are you, uh, to finish all that, your ambition? Um, I mean, a great question. I would say major investment, and this is this is again a key part of digital transformation. Major investments about another year and a half, okay, mm -hmm. maybe two, depending on that data extraction and then the merging of data. Because I, I, as mature as as capabilities are and industries are, I still think data is is trickier than we fully appreciate. So I think we're about a year and a half or two away from from heavy investment. But I I cannot underpin enough that. The age of or when investment was given in big, big, heavy investment and then stopped because you reached the steady state, those days are past. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as organizations now, we need to appreciate you make a heavy investment. You get to a point, maybe the best is, is a three and a half or four, but then you need a continual ongoing, much smaller, but ongoing right. investment to ensure that you are continually getting value and increasing the value you're extracting from what you've done. If you don't do that, if as organizations, we assume, hey, I put 20 grand or 20 million into my whatever transformation, and now I'm good, you should get no more money for five years. We are essentially throwing away some of the value that we should have and uh, should have gotten or anticipated we were going to get from that 20 million. Right. And so I'm happy to say in a couple of years, I should not be asking for major investment, but that is with the assumption that we get constant sustained investment to continue to, to look at what's new what's next and take advantage right, of it right. well it's like oh you know you lost the 30 pounds but it doesn't mean you can stop doing nothing you have to keep taking care of yourself <laughs> isn't that the truth but but it and and i love that you went with that because and i know you don't know this but i refer to it as living systems uh-huh. we deploy a system but we need to appreciate that system becomes a living essentially a living entity that we need to continue to nurture and right. and that nurturing means investment, not massive amounts, but it also means intelligence from business teams and IT teams working together to say, what's new? What's the art of the possible? And how could you take that to drive the next problem out of the process? Right. So you just mentioned IT team and business team working together. Was there any challenge? What What was your biggest challenge in general leading this kind of big transformation journey for such a big company? Um, I would say, I, I would imagine what I will answer will be very similar to others. Um, I, I'm very lucky, right? Back, we started with being lucky with a big company like ours, getting to operate as partners, right? That is one making us lucky with some of the big vendors. Um, I'm also very fortunate that the partnership between us as a corporate function and our IT organization is in full lockstep. There's no scenario in Accenture where I make a decision independent of them or they make a decision independent of the business function. So that's been massively um, valuable to us. But when we think about challenges, it is the age old and most obvious. It is fundamentally, did you or did you not achieve the change? Mm-hmm. Um, and the change is dependent on the human. Mm. And humans, even the best of us, um, and, and as a change agent, we still take time to change our behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a massive gap between leaders and program sponsors and what we aspire to what is actually communicated. It, it naturally gets filtered down. What's the program trying to do? And what do we expect them to do? Okay, we'll tell them this message and we'll train them in this way. But we miss sometimes the inspiration. Do you understand the true art of the possible? And how that art of the possible are you taking time? Not me taking time thinking about how the art of the possible is gonna help you. I can tell you the five things I think, but you are on the ground. You think about the art of the possible and mm. what that can drive. And so it, it's been a massive focus area. Again, I'm very fortunate with our IT partners in Accenture. And internally, this is something they recognize and have driven out. Um, but it really has been fundamental as we as a business function have driven that change as well to appreciate that's a gap. And that, mm. that gap needs to, we need thoughtful focus on that, not just during the program, but also afterwards. Right. That's that change. That's that continuous investment, because if you stop change right when we think the technology is stable, 
then you lose the momentum. And and, and it's only at that point that people start to understand or think about what does this mean to me? And so you need something to sustain that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's in general leadership, right? So like change management is really leadership, I find, uh, because as you mentioned, it's human behavior and it's like hardwired in our neurons to changing the habit and the way you think and everything, right? And then how do we make them change like adapt quicker it's a question of almost uh like you said inspiration oh they need to be able to imagine on their own and all that stuff but how do you encourage them to do that you know so <laughs> yeah how, how do you give them time to do it too because when i think of change and trust me when i say i haven't come up with a um I haven't come up with a better term for it, but change management isn't a great term. I, I'll throw stones without actually solving, but let me just, it, it, it's so much more. And I think it's key that as we go on the journey, we give our people time to contribute to and consume the change we're trying to drive out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we recognize that that piece is, is as important as putting you know five change management people on a big program, um, and I don't mean taking two SMEs and having them work with the change management. I really mean if you expect to change 100 people who are operating, you need at least 20 of them thinking about how they contribute to and consume mm-hmm. that change if you're going to effectively see anything filter down in the 100. And then that 20 are also hold a level of responsibility for that success mm-hmm. of the it, mm-hmm. it, success of change can't sit in a central group. It mm-hmm. has to be shared and um, it has to be shared across, you know, multiple different groups to right. and, and multiple different layers for it to, yeah. to deliver. Yeah, it's like massive campaign. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and massive campaign and consistent campaign, because even right. after the campaign goes away, who's looking at the numbers? Did it happen? OK, mm. not why not? Not going back to the same messaging, really challenging yourself mm. to say, well, what else do I need now to see what I hoped we would get in the beginning? Right. So now I want to shift a little bit on the technology, the next big thing. You mentioned bot and AI already. You're incorporating a little bit on that. Oh, so I think it's bot and the generative AI, ChatGPT is uh, two different things. You know, last five years ago, I remember talking to uh, Accenture strategy consultants and they talked about uh, automation and procurement and bot, bot, bot. <laughs> but now, like five, seven years later, it's a different kind of bot. It's a, a it's different kind of AI now. What's your perspective? Um, what do you think is going to happen to this uh, procurement functions uh, when we get this super ChatGPT and many other other things, cool things come out? Yeah, it's an incredibly interesting time. And I think like every single technology wave will have some impact. So let's just, you reference bots and RPAs. Five, 10 years ago, we were talking about, oh, we don't need agents doing things because of, yep, that's right. We saw that shift. And the bot that we are referring to is um, we have, uh, you know, an interactive bot, ask questions. And that's been incredibly transformative in how we support and provide the the customer responses that we need. This next wave of chat GPT or bots is, I fully believe, will, will represent or will present, I should say, an opportunity um, for us to look differently. But I think from a procurement at this point, I will say first and foremost, I am waiting to see. Not not doing anything, but there's a little bit of when the sheen wears off, 
what really are we going to get from it? I think the art of the possible is massive. Um, one of the pieces even, you know, I just challenged my team this week to start to think about is um, procurement is a function traditionally is operated before the transaction. What, what What's the best deal we get? How can we support you on getting the best deal? Procurement as a function has in a massive place a role to play in the active management of contracts moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think ChatGPT pulling out key data to say you signed this contract um, historically, here's what we saw on the contract. Here's what the industry is saying. Here's what the transactions are showing. I think ChatGPT could drive an incredible amount of intelligence around that active management of the contract. Did we get what we're buying? Uh, are we able to see that easily without people pouring back over things? But the reason I, I practice caution at this point, and I've asked my team even, chase it all down. I want to know it all. I want to know the art of the possible, but fundamentally it's going to come back to data. And so don't let ourselves get too busy chasing it down. I want to understand the art of the possible so then we can ground ourselves back to saying we're going to be able to make sure that data is available so that ChatGPT can pull it together. Mm. So I think the potential is incredible, but as we look at that potential, we need to all appreciate it is only as good as the data it's taking from. And there's still work to be done to make that data honestly reliable and, and interlocked enough that ChatGPT could effectively pull from it. Right. Yeah. And also, like, because of this generative AI, like ChatGPT creates some other issues like hallucination. And it's basically, it's not accurate all the time, even though I fed the right data because it doesn't know how to reason, right? So yes, yes, yes. just logic part is missing. Therefore, I mean, there's a lot of a space for Accenture and SAP can play in terms of technology and implementing the business rules and guidelines along with the ChatGPT, like, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's the bit that I think we all get excited. We get ahead of ourselves. We see the art of the possible, but there is a massive journey to get there and, and a role for all of us to play in ensuring that we get there in a correct fashion. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, I think we'll stumble a lot. We all will as we learn. Um, I, I fundamentally believe it will be a core part of how we operate within a couple of years. But I am also um, I, I am also wholeheartedly a strong believer that it is and always will be technology plus human. So in every iteration we've seen to date, there's been this concern of what will it mean for people and, and what work they do. And every single iteration we've seen to date, we still need the people. We're just doing better work, smart work, and more valuable work. And that comes to that, you know, you talked about KPIs at the beginning. And I talked about driving standardization, simplification and automation within the traditional procurement. That was never about reducing people. It was maybe doing that more efficiently so I could have more people in the value. Right. And so I think technology is an enabler for humans to do more value. And um, I don't believe technology in itself can stand alone and, and you know, take workforce out. Right. So because of your unique background, coming from more IT and technology background, and now get to lead a whole procurement strategy and being the head of procurement, what do you think about your career journey? And then how, when you look back, you know, and then also how do you see yourself differently than traditional procurement people, I guess, with a less technology background? Um, oh, I, I don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good call it, right? Because I think what people talk to me, even as and, and it's this um, 
this interim CPO role only started in February. Um, and I still, you could still feel right. My the background of change and transformation um, is still heavy in what I do and know. Um, I honestly believe I don't need to be a procurement expert. I have an incredible massive team of them. And what I mean by that is nobody needs me negotiating the deal. I'm not going to be the person to read the contract to the nth degree and make sure that we're covered all the clauses. And thankfully, because of the incredible team we have behind us, I don't need to be. But I do, um, as I look at kind of what I bring with that background to procurement, procurement's been an interesting function. It's not like HR and legal and finance that have existed for eons. There is no organization, even the smallest, that don't have someone who does legal and someone who does HR and someone who does uh, finance. Um, procurement's much newer and is an evolving function. And I believe the value that I bring with that change mindset is it is an evolving function that is still able to change because we're mm -hmm. small, agile and nimble in comparison to some of those other parts of the organization. And my constant challenging of the what and the why and the business outcome we're trying to aspire to driving what we're doing means that I'm able to steer the organization to take the best of everything we have from a procurement function and make that better because we're continuing to evolve how we deliver and continuing to that chip to the plus. Right. And you mentioned about the working with the business partners because Accenture is a professional services consulting company. You don't make stuff, but you mentioned risk. So where is the risk when you talk about the risk? Uh, what what risk are you talking about? Um, it's not supply chain disruption. You're not delivering on this toilet paper is very important. <laughs> so, correct, correct. I mean, so there's two sides to that, and I'll, I'll talk about the risk piece in, in general in a minute. I think the supply chain piece, though, has been very interesting because what we've seen over the last couple of years means that supply chain, even for indirect, <laughs> has been such a crisis. And, and it's a small example, but um, we had a problem getting people new badges to get into an office after we changed the system. Right. Indirect spend, nobody would think about it, but that indirect spend and the supply chain issue impacted how we support. So I think it's been interesting that even as procurement functions in indirect, you know, that manage indirect spend, we are forced now to think about supply chain like we were not in the past. And that is a part of one of the risks. It's not, a, it's not the overarching, it's not a manufacturing company, um, but it, it is a part of a risk uh, that we are managing. But I think we manage that in indirect, or I know we manage that as really part of third party risk management. And so when I think about third party risk management, of course, it's everything you need to do up front. Does this partner a present a risk for global data privacy or information security um, but not only up front do they present that risk ongoing because many of our suppliers or partners as, as I consider them once they come in they're partners with us for a while and we need to make sure we're managing not only the risk up front but on an ongoing basis and we're surfacing those suppliers if you're uh, risk managed and you're you know, consistently supporting us regardless of supply chain disruptions and you're contributing to our sustainability or IND agenda, how am I pulling all of that together to elevate you so that you are, you know, I'm encouraging the group, the, the buyers in Accenture, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's decentralized buying. I'm encouraging the buyers in Accenture to see you and choose you. And so risk is third-party risk management or even 
third party value management, risk mm-hmm. being one of the pieces of that value, is a critical focus for us because that should be driving buying behavior change when we surface the right view of those suppliers and we give our people you know, a clear lens of this buying decision has this impact versus this. Mm, right, right. Good. So it's almost like supplier relationship before we even start the relationship. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And then even more importantly afterwards, it's not it's not a I need to manage my supplier relationship with a very key number. Yes, of course I do, but it's much broader. It, it mm-hmm. really is recognizing the role of, of relationship management interlocked with risk management and interlocked with responsible buying mm-hmm. as a long-term partnership. Right, right, right. Good. So also curious because uh, your major thing is actually consultants. So they spend a lot of money on the road and travel and expenses. And, and also you probably have a lot of contractors too. In, in that category, is it part of a procurement responsibility or something else? It is. I mean, you're, you kind of called it two pretty significant pieces of our spend there, um, more so maybe than other organizations. Uh, travel mobility is a significant spend category for Accenture and how that's managed um, or for and, and managed by Procurement Plus. And then the external talent we refer to it as, which includes contractors, the new newer kind of thinking around freelancers, which is mm-hmm. even broader than contractors, professional services obviously has a role in there. And then even the when you think about external talent as a category, we also have bundled in some of the HR services like recruitment, right? Mm-hmm. It is a talent management. And while HR traditionally and recruitment would have traditionally sat under a HR category, we still have a HR category, we've tended to take those pieces of HR that are related to finding, onboarding and training people, employees, and bucketed that with the with our external talent because it really is how are we supporting HR and making sure that they have all of what they need from a people standpoint to support all of what Accenture wants to do mm-hmm. for our clients. Good. You know, we we SAP group all that together as an intelligent spend. So that's why I was asking, I'm curious, like how does it line up with our the way we see it and also mark, go to market? And because uh, we think there is a synergy and it makes sense, you know? Absolutely. And um, because the other piece, if you don't manage it as intelligent spend holistically, it's it's the balloon. If you squeeze it in one place, it pops the other. So you control your expenses. Oh, why are we seeing this spike in low dollar transactions right. in Ariba? Right. You stop that in Ariba. Why are we seeing all these non-categorized IT purchases in our expenses? So yes, right. very much um, the need to look at it holistically is very important. Similarly, even the expenses of our external talent and not just those of our employees. Right, right. I'm curious to your perspective. You were in a Sapphire recently, right? So, <laughs> so I want to hear from your perspective. What do you think about SAP strategy and business network, uh, other things? Because you have a special lens on here, not just pure procurement, but really strong background and IT. And not only that, because you work with Accenture, a lot of people there. So I, I think you have a very different, unique perspective to actually give me the candid feedback <laughs> well i i don't know but i i don't know whether the feedback would be useful but i can say um i mean i i love industry events like these because i more than anything and, and trust me when i say the sessions are all incredible but again being part of accenture i'm fortunate enough that if i want insights on those things i have i have a pool of people i can get to help me understand those things but um i i 
very much appreciate these industry events because they do showcase the art of the possible. And and I'm a I'm a spark type of person. Oh my, what that right? Then I get excited, probably too easily sometimes. Um, so I love seeing the art of the possible, but even more than that, I love the opportunity to network. Um, I believe that uh, we're all on this journey, versions of it, but we're all on the same journey. And what are you doing and I doing and how are we sharing and how are we learning from each other and how are we making the next step of our journey that a little bit easier? And so one of the key pieces, um, my team in attendance, uh, we did a number of the customer connect sessions as an example, um, where you really, and it was, it was actually pretty funny because I tried to join one of them late and was stopped because there was a thought that I was Accenture and there are no partners allowed back there. There's no sales allowed in this customer connect area. We got that clarified and I went in, but it, it really is great to see a group of customers sit around a table and just ask questions. Um, so I was very excited about that. But then back to the larger question around the strategy and where SAP is going, I am very encouraged by uh, multiple pieces of it. There is the, um, you know, this user experience and, and this common user experience layer is critical. Um, I don't think we can do enough to continue to push the user experience, not because it'll be the be all and end all. There's still buying processes within corporations that are difficult, but as much as we do as possible to adopt a consistent buying process across our mm -hmm. tools and um, can only help us with our internal usage. And um, but also that network and that consistent of consistency of offering offering the same to our suppliers. And mm -hmm. um, I think as procurement functions have digitized we have done so without really thinking about what that means for the third parties we interact with and just how many systems they might need to interact with right. us on. <laughs> and, you know, supplier A, have you got the five different passwords you need now to come to me across the different phases of my buying process? Um, and so when I look at the network and the larger network strategy, I see that as a, a, a massive opportunity um, and which will hugely benefit the, the interlock between the buyer and the supplier and remove some of the friction. Um, so I'm very encouraged about that. So I, 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 I um, you know, I always leave these events maybe again, maybe unnecessarily excited. Sometimes <laughs> my team will say, OK, 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 <laughs> just what's right in front of us for a minute, Tricia just what's right in front of us for a minute but um it, it is it is invaluable uh to step out of the day-to-day -day where you very very much get dragged into um you know what what do i have to do right now and just look up and share um and consume and then step away and you know think about how that can apply so uh, it was a great event Amazing, and um, that's why I'm so excited that you're going to join our industry leaders think tank, which is basically a CPO forum. I want to do more of that, like a CPO can just talk to each other and then whatever the topic is, and then discuss whether transformation or sustainability, AI, and so on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you in action and actually getting engaged, everybody too. I think you have a lot to bring to the table too. So now it's serving as CPO, it's a little bit different role, and it's definitely the really opportunity to lead and shape. So what new opportunities do you see here as a CPO? What, what excites you? Um... I think I'm gonna, you know, my answer is probably gonna disappoint you because I will ground back a little bit to what I've done uh, and spoke about. But it is interesting because over my, you know, the last uh, X number of years as I continue to grow in this space, I, I feel like I've 
you know, understood and have a very strong understanding of our traditional procurement, right? That that comes from helping transform it. And the bits that are newer to me as I operate in this CPO role is real estate, um, just because the I haven't had to pay close attention to real estate spend. And, and I want to be clear, real estate is managed by a whole other group. We just support the procurement piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been interesting. External talent, it's obviously been in existence, but not an area I had to pay close attention to. And then last but not least is the supplier inclusion and sustainability space. And I think... Um, as I look at where we are and where I'm most excited to be that CPO is is fundamentally to use all of what we've done through this transformation, all of the data to drive the intelligence to change the buying behavior around responsible buying and and to drive the intelligence to make our procurement professionals more effective. So what I what I mean by that is not um not, oh, I want, you know, agent A to be processing four times more contracts because I've digitized that. I genuinely, I want our procurement professionals to see the digitization as an enabler for the conversations that they need to have. And procurement, at the end of the day, is heavily dependent on relationships. Relationships with the business who needs to buy something and relationships with the suppliers who we have to coordinate with. And our relationships will be made stronger by all of the intelligence that we can produce for them. And Mm -hmm. so I think about the data that comes out from SIND and, and, and this responsible buying piece. I think about the data on price, on risk, and I think about how we feed that to our category managers and our, our procurement professionals so that they become better at supporting the business and interacting with the suppliers. Um, and I, I think we're at a very interesting point, right? It's I, I think a business partnership, which has been a big focus for procurement, for a couple of years now, but I think a business partnership as a mix between art and science. The mm-hmm. art is the relationship. I can't replace that. That's the human piece. And mm-hmm. um, the science, though, is the insights they've used to date. It's not like they're not doing it already, but mm-hmm. it's how much more can we synthesize? Not about more data. It's about intelligent data and insights. And how much more can mm-hmm. we synthesize to ensure that they have enough to really be the trusted advisor by our business partners to say, huh, yeah, you do know more than me when it comes to that particular category. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful to consider those options. Not only because that supplier will will support what I need, but also because that supplier will support Accenture strategy and the buying behavior encourages and contributes to Accenture strategy. So that's the bit I'm most excited about. And that's that's a, a technology shift, of course. We talked over and over and over and over again. People would be bored with that piece of me. But it's also a person shift because back to this piece I mentioned earlier around change, it's not enough to say, now category manager, right? We have some incredible talent. Here's all these new insights. Now you're going to do things differently. How are we bringing them on that journey? How are they part of that journey? Because honestly, they need to be telling us what insights they need. Um, and so that's a part of the um, part of the journey I'm quite excited about to continue to steer here in this role. Great purpose, because uh, you're going to definitely elevate the procurement functions and then, you know, the value aspect we talked about. Um, so I'm so excited how you're going to leverage the technology and the, uh, the intelligent data that you're going to gather to make that the behavioral change and decisions uh, they're going to make. So awesome. Um, 
So is there anything you want to add maybe as a message to final message to the listeners, like business leaders of a supply chain and procurement people out there? I am, I, I, I suppose, I think particularly pertinent now. Um, I, I'll start with by saying I don't consider myself insightful. So when someone says anything else you want to add to inspire or share, like my first instinct is I couldn't possibly. But, <laughs> but let's try because the counter to not being insightful is I am a talker. Um, <laughs> but I, I do, I mean, I think it's interesting and I've heard a lot of this lately where um, procurement functions have aspired to be more, all of what we talked about. And now there's this concern that, hey, we're being pushed back into a box. We're being told to focus on price. There's concern about how we operate and, and the importance of price to the organization. And of course that's true, but I actually don't see that as a negative. I see that as another opportunity for procurement to shine. When the organization focus on price, they are reliant on procurement to contribute it. And so we have an opportunity to have a conversation about price, but, but in a differentiated fashion. How or what are we telling, uh, uh, making decisions on price and bringing other factors? Yes, this price is better. Yes, I can beat this supplier up excuse my term, but we can sit in the room and hammer away, maybe ruining our relationship with a partner on price, or here's the other elements to be considered. And so I think as a procurement function, we're not stepping back to price. We need to step up to this cost focus and say, yes, I can contribute to that cost focus in addition to these other things that you mightn't have been letting me talk about, but now you want me at the table because you're really focused on cost. Uh -huh. And so I, I, I would encourage us to take this renewed interest in procurement because of a cost focus and use that as an opportunity to say, I will contribute that, but also here's the other things I can do. Mm. Yeah, multidimensional and uh, truly uh, trusted advisor, therefore. Yeah. Okay, I always finish this podcast with this question. So finish this sentence. I am oh, optimistic. Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, I think anybody who bothered to sit here for however long this went will see I am optimistic. And I don't know, but I don't have a good dot, dot, dot. Um, I, I will say, and maybe this isn't, uh, this isn't the simple answer, I will say I consider myself very lucky because I'm optimistic by nature. And so it does mean whatever challenge has been presented to me to date or is in front of me, I don't um, I don't see it as a problem. I don't see it as a barrier because I, I genuinely, with some cases, blind or dumb optimism, assume we can get through anything. So. I can't limit that I am optimistic about one thing because by nature, I am fortunate to be optimistic about pretty much everything. You're optimistic, period. <laughs> so that might be the best one word summary of a lengthy answer I've ever given. Yes. Awesome. That was so fun. Oh my God. Thank you so much for your time and sharing all these experiences and your perspective. Uh, I feel very refreshed and uh, really looking forward to working with you, getting to know you more, um, bring that all the art of possibility to our think tank and with other members. So thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. I am honored uh, to have had the time to talk and, and interact with you. So beyond grateful. Thank you. Thank you.